welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today I am joined by Justin Genak. Justin, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. Justin is the co-founder of uh, Working Not Working. Prior to Working Not Working, you were an award-winning art director and creative director at several uh, great agencies. Uh, I was amazed to learn that you uh, founded uh, ElfYourself.com, and I'm a millennial, so that's like, what? That's so crazy. So uh, <laughs> I was, you had, I was part of the team that worked on that. Oh, yeah, part yeah. of the, yeah. So you had uh, over eight, I didn't even know this, 800 million users created Elves. Um, did you guys ever in a million years think that it would become as big as it did? Oh, no, not at all. And, and at that time, too, we, we we had a brief from Office Max just to like get people to consider shopping for the holidays there, which seems like shopping at a office supply store for the holidays doesn't really seem that appealing. Right. Um, and so we decided to do 20 uh, websites of just like fun holiday games to get people to even just on uh, getting Office Max on their radar. So we did Elf Yourself was one of 20 websites. Uh, and it wasn't even actually my favorite. But then Elf Yourself just like took off and I think there was like in the first year, it was only up for like five or six weeks and it got like 36 million uh, visitors wow. uh, the first year. And then in the second year, it got like a hundred and something million visitors and then it's been going on now. They, they've kept and it going. For like in 2001, you started uh, selling garbage, another fun endeavor that you had there. 100% authentic New York City garbage. Uh, the trash is handpicked and arranged in cubes that are signed, numbered and dated. Uh, today, more than 1,300 cubes have been sold to over 30 countries. And then I read further that uh, regular cubes sell for $50, and then special editions sell for 100 So, for example, yeah. uh, you know, from like a World Series or something like that. So, where did you get the idea to sell garbage? And what were your, <laughs> yeah. uh, what were your initial intentions? So, I was a advertising and design uh, major at SVA. Uh, and it was the summer after my sophomore year. I had an internship at MTV. And we were just hanging around one day. And we were having a debate about the importance of package design. And someone's like, oh, package design doesn't matter. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. And so I took that as a challenge. And I wanted to figure out a way to prove them wrong. And I figured the only way to prove them wrong would be to package something that absolutely nobody would ever want to buy. And if I could convince people to buy it, then I would know my package design was successful. So just staring down into Times Square, uh, you know, it's one of the most populated places, but then also one of the most filthy places. Uh, I realized, oh, garbage. Like, people obviously don't want garbage. They throw it away. Um, if I could package garbage and get people to buy it, then uh, I could prove my point. So I sat on that idea for probably about six months, maybe a little longer. Uh, and it's just one of those ideas just kept bubbling up, bubbling up. So I was like, all right, screw it. I'll do it. Um, and I went and found some plexiglass cubes. Um, I went and picked up some trash uh, late at night one night in my neighborhood uh, near the SVA dorm. And then I made about a dozen cubes. And I made a little cardboard box that I flipped upside down and I spray painted on it in silver spray paint garbage for sale. And I had like a little stool and I just stacked them up in a pyramid and just went out into the streets of Times Square trying to get people to buy them. Uh, and I went like on 42nd Street and then I went outside the line for TRL because TRL on yeah. MTV was a big thing with Carson Daly. Yep. And so there's like a bunch of like, you know, college girls and high school girls. So I'm like, you know, maybe I can convince them to buy some and nobody wanted to buy it. So I started trying to offer like a free portrait, a free bad <laughs> portrait with the cube. Nobody wanted that. Uh, and I was only at the time trying to sell them for, I think initially 10 bucks and I was like $5. Still nobody was buying them. And then I went back out that night and it was like 10 o'clock at night and there was this older man uh who 
barely spoke any English, and I found out he was from Ecuador. Um, and he saw it and he laughed and uh, he somehow got it and connected with it and he was my first customer. That's so uh, and, and so he bought the first cube and then the next day I went back out with a little bit more uh, swagger and confidence that I could do it. <laughs> and I sold probably like another three or four and then I, so I was like, well, I got to make a website. Uh, and I didn't, had no idea how to make a website. And back then Photoshop had this, um, there was no oh, what the hell was the program called? Then. There's no, no, there's unfortunately no Squarespace, which is now what the site is on. Uh, but uh, yeah, like, so I was just doing, like, took a Photoshop file and just did a bunch of slices. And then, like, it, there's a program that made it HTML and I had crazy rollovers. Like, it was the worst design <laughs> pile of garbage, but, uh, but it worked. And yeah. I, I put the site up uh, and I, I started getting, I think I emailed a couple of blogs or whatever, and uh, New York Magazine ended up doing a full page article about it. Oh my and God. then I, and then NBC saw that, uh, CBS saw that, they came to my dorm room and started interviewing me, uh, and it just started to snowball, because it was one of those like ridiculous ideas. Yeah. Um, and I think for, for me, when I, when I first started doing it, I was like, well, how do I make people want this garbage? And initially, I, I had a little stencil that I cut out of paper, and I was spray painting on the front, New York City garbage. Mm-hmm. And it was just like in a small, like 100-square-foot dorm room. It wasn't really... Uh, uh, smart to be doing uh, spray painting a bunch of cubes uh, and it was just a messy process and but I was like how do I make this like so people want to buy it how do I make it collectible and at the time uh, Beanie Babies were a big deal um, and you might be too young to know what those are but they were there. like little stuffed animals and they were like they, I, I always thought it was ridiculous because they tried to because they said they were a limited edition and they were special people freaked out about them and paid more money for them mm-hmm. so i was like oh maybe i make mine limited edition or i just number them so i'll number each one of them to make them more special and then i was like oh i'm gonna stamp the date the garbage was picked on it so it's like you know commemorates it even more and then i'll assign it at the bottom and i'm gonna use a silver pen instead of a black pen so it seems extra fancy <laughs> um and all of that stuff kind of worked though um the yeah. fact that they were signed numbered and dated and all that and uh, yeah, the site just took off and it started getting picked up on blogs and, uh, you know, uh, blogs and newspapers and magazines and radio stations all around the world. It's just like, uh, I, I got to the point where I'd done it long enough. So I'm like, all right, I proved my point. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't need to, I don't need to keep doing it. I've done special editions from Obama's inauguration and I got flown to, uh, Dublin, Ireland by the Dublin city council to do St. Patrick's day parade after the wow. parade in downtown Dublin. And so it's like, I got to do some some cool things with it, and, and it, it's like, you know, I don't really need to get my hands dirty like that anymore. <laughs> so in my research for today's podcast, I discovered that uh, your wife, Christine, who you say is your favorite person, I believe it, since she's your wife, uh, she's <laughs> incredible, absolutely incredible. Her resume is like every place I dream about working at, uh, and <laughs> the the Oreo Life Raft commercial. Oh my God, so good. It's hilarious. I, I feel like that spot... Um, I, you know, I, I wonder, and I've said to Christine through marriage, do I get to put your stuff on my portfolio too? Yeah. Uh, she has so many like good like comedy spots for like that life raft spots genius, and her and Nathaniel yeah. Lawler uh, that when they were freelancing at Widen, they it was just like unbelievable. Yeah. It was so good. so and jealous then, of that. And then you two, uh, the transition here, you two collaborated on uh, Wands for Sale, where you would. I had I had to kind of reread this to make sense of it, but it makes sense now. So uh, you, <laughs> so you would paint things that you both wanted, and then sell the painting for the price of the real item. So if you wanted the Wii, you'd paint the Wii and then put the price, and somebody yep. would buy that, 
I don't know. And then, a, you know, or like a slice of pepperoni pizza and the, and the, the price point was all over the place. Um, yeah. And it worked. So tell me about that. And what's it like to uh, collaborate with your insanely talented wife? And do you two collaborate well or do you kind of argue since you're both kind of meticulous? Uh, yeah, so we're, we're both, you know, by trade art directors and creative directors. So we had, we do the same job up until, you know, I started working out working. Uh, so, and we both have specific ways of working. Uh, so it doesn't always work well for the collaboration. Uh, so Christine and I were walking around the data exhibit at MoMA. Uh, I don't remember what year it was, 2007. Um, and just like inspired by all the weirdness and, uh, and then we were talking about like, you know, making art to get the things that we want because we were like, you know, not, we were pretty young in our careers at the time. Uh, and so I had at one point wanted to do like a garbage cube, like and make it really big and, and call it like flat screen TV and sell it for like, like two thousand dollars. Yeah. And, and Christine's like, well, why don't we just paint a flat screen TV and then sell that for two thousand dollars? And then when someone buys it, go buy the flat screen TV. And I'm like, that's genius. <laughs> that's like perfect. Yeah. Um, and so for me, like we, we were like, yeah, that could actually work. Um, and so uh, we bought some canvases. We'd made about a dozen paintings. And we wanted to have like a range of things. We didn't want like, because we knew like with no credibility, no one's going to buy a $2,000 painting from us. Um, so in, in that batch and in every batch, it was important for us to have something that was free. And then all the way up to crazy expensive. Right. And the paintings themselves were really simple, like almost like icons. Yeah. Um, and we would take turns drawing them. So she would draw some, I would draw some, and then we would hand over to the other one to paint it. So we, both of us had a hand in every painting. Uh, but for us, it was just a representation of the item. And then, again, the artwork comes in, the purchased, and then us going and buying the actual thing and posting a picture of it. Um, so the, the consumer uh, is just as much a part of the transaction of the art as, you know, as our paintings are. Because, um, yeah, we could do photo real paintings, um, uh, but that's not, not the idea. Like, we don't, we almost didn't want people buying it on the craft of it. You know, we wanted people buying it on the idea. On the principle. Um, which is like, kinda, and yeah, and it, that's kind of like the same thing with garbage. Like, most people, when they bought garbage cubes from me, uh, just bought them off the website and I would send them whatever, whatever one I'd want. It's not like someone was like, oh, right. I specifically want that one. Um, so, with the paintings, like that first one, we, our free one was. Uh, I think in that batch was to hear a good joke. So whoever sent us the best joke got that painting, and it was just like a speech bubble uh, that said, ha-ha. Um, and then we had in there buffalo wings. We had... Yeah, lots uh, of wings I saw. You guys must yeah, love buffalo wings. We were super into wings at the time. Now we're trying to eat slightly healthier. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, uh, we had, I think, an iPhone in that first batch. We had, uh, And then we had financial security, which is a stack of bills and it was a million dollars which has not sold um but one, but one of the things that yeah it was like one of the things where we didn't realize so we made that uh site we put like 12 paintings on it and then we uh just sent it you know emailed and just messengered it you know it was aol as the messenger at the time to our friends um and people sent it around and it's like we didn't even we didn't have anything to like ship them we didn't think people were gonna buy them we just kind of made it over a weekend we're like hey what do you guys think and then a blog picked up on it that week, uh, joshspear.com, some, like, because someone had sent it to him. And then he posted it, and then Daily Candy saw it. And Daily Candy, like, we got, like, 10,000 or 20,000 visitors to the site, and it crashed the site. Oh, my God. Um, so it's, <laughs> and then 
And then that took off from there, you know? So it was like one of those things where it was just an idea where people were like, oh, this is awesome. And so we ended up with like a, a mailing list of like 3,000 people. And every time we sent out new paintings, uh, they would sell out in like 15 minutes. Wow. So we did the first couple batches. And then we realized that we, we like, so with iPhone, for example, the iPhone was however much it was originally. And we include tax in that too. Right. And then they dropped the price of the initial iPhone because people thought it was too expensive. So we had to drop the price of the painting. <laughs> um, so it was like, and, and so that's how it worked. And we would do that. And it got to the point where we, we did video games and we did, I got a David Ortiz jersey because I'm a Red Sox fan. Yeah. Uh, we started to, but we had to start doing more experiences because we just lived in a small New York City apartment. We couldn't, you know, we didn't have room for more, more TVs. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we started painting like uh, drinks on us. And it was just a long painting with a bunch of drinks, like flaming shots and, and, and wine glasses and all that. And that was $500 to take our friends out for drinks. And, mm-hmm. and that like sold. And so like it was kind of – it was cool from though. one when person we were or from like a group? Was it like from like a, jo- a job or like a 500 person? 500 bucks? Yeah, one person bought that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like but, but it, was, it was fun to see like, like one of the most fun ones we did was a Vegas vacation. And so we uh, painted – all the aspects of a Vegas vacation. So we painted the flights, so the two, flight there, flight back, each of those. We painted each night of the hotel room as a do not disturb sign in a different color, each one. Uh, we did uh, all you can eat buffets, which is I think my favorite painting that we've done. We did uh, topless showgirls, we did aspirin, we did good luck, um, and it was just a rabbit's foot, and that one was free. So whoever got to the site first and paid for the shipping got that painting. That's so awesome. Because uh, they needed luck to get that. And, and that, that series, besides one painting, sold out in like 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. So it got to the point where like, and this was before Instagram, like hell, if we were doing this now with Instagram, it would become like it would be yeah. even easier <laughs> to get the word out. Uh, but it was one of those things where uh, I, I, I've learned a valuable lesson there because with the, the garbage, I didn't have a mailing list. Right. Uh, and when we started Wants for Sale, we had a mailing list there. And it's just nice to have an audience of people who have already invited you into their inbox. Yeah. And, and and to be able to like give them that alert of when things are happening, it was just like it, it, it was a built-in audience for everything that we were doing. Yeah, so uh, a, a less than a year after we started Wants for Sale, uh, we started feeling really greedy. Um, and so we and we wanted to help other people. And so we started a sister site called Need, Needs for Sale. And so, for example, Habitat for Humanity says a kitchen sink is $100. So we painted a kitchen sink, sold it for $100, and gave all the money to Habitat. And we did that for Heifer International. Uh, we did that for uh, charities for you know educating girls in Africa. We did that for uh, phone calls for the troops. We did that for Toys for Tots. We did it for all sorts of charities. Wow. Uh, and we made these paintings and donated all the money, uh, which you know feels a lot better than getting you know an Xbox game. Yeah. Um, and then uh, yeah, BBH came to us because they had that idea for UNICEF uh, because there was uh, you know conflict in the Horn of Africa where women and children were just being uh, you know either killed or uh, left homeless and they were fleeing it in refugees. And, uh, and so they wanted to help them. And like, how do we go and take the idea that we did for needs for sale and bring that to t-shirts? And so, yeah, we partnered with Threadless uh, and we're, we did shirts that were from uh, insecticides treated mosquito nets, which I think were like $18, right. the deworming tablets. So people didn't get tapeworms and that was like $25. And then it went all the way up to a cargo flight for $300,000. Wow. Um, and, yeah, someone actually got that shirt. Holy so like, it, it's so crazy. It was, it, it was cool. It was just, it's just like when we, I went on press at Threadless watching them print the shirts. And it's just like, you're like, oh, that'll save a life. That'll save a life. And you're like, it's just a, it, it, it's weird when you have an idea that was 
kind of born out of greed, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, in a sense, yeah. greed, greed, and just like, and also wanting to, you know, uh, finance our life uh, to go and say, see how it's evolved, uh, and and really be able to do some good with it. So like, we were psyched that BBH like involved us in that, and and we were able to make that happen. But yeah, we raised almost four hundred thousand dollars for the cause. So wow. uh, when you, when you do that, you're just like, yeah, it, it it's nice to turn around an, an idea and really be able to see the the breadth of what it you know what it can do. Wow, that's awesome, man. Thanks. Bravo. I don't like I don't like to use that word, but I guess that's where you would say that. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was uh and and also you realize that uh you can't do stuff alone. Like uh there was a lot of really smart talented people that worked hard to make that come to life. Um and it's it, it's nice when you see other people be inspired by ideas and yeah. and then also uh you know want to work hard to make them happen. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's uh it, it, it's good to be uh, it's good to be good to people and then it like it all comes back around, you know. Yeah, for sure. I've been kind of uh taken recently with the work uh because of you obviously. Uh I've been following Ivan Cash and the work that he Love does. That yeah, and he's kind of along that same uh that same, you know, doing doing it for the love and for compassion and to inform and uh I think that a lot of people I don't want to generalize here, but I think that many design students think that design is, you know, just branding and logos and stationery and, you know, the dye line and all that stuff and it is that, but when the, when the compassion and when empathy comes into it and you can kind of use your skill set to to make something really amazing happen that's like i want to be a part of that but i need to pick a career yeah. path these days so <laughs> <laughs> that, that guy's amazing i love ivan and uh the thing is like design and anything that we're doing is communication and connection and that's why we're doing it and you make something beautiful so someone feels a connection to it and then is intrigued to go and either buy it or interact with it or, or, or you know, uh, support it or, you know, uh, take action, whatever it is that you're, you're trying to communicate. But it's all there just to connect with people. And I think right. it's just a, to using your tools of like, all right, how am I going to connect with people? Is it going to be in a way that surprises and delights them in a humorous way, in a way that uh, emotionally connects with them? Uh, or aesthetically connects with them, whatever it is, but it's it, the, the connection is more important than anything else. And I think it's like if you're just in, in this business to make things look pretty, uh, then you're going to have a pretty short, uh, you know, like there, there is a need for that, but it's just probably right. not going to probably not going to have as much uh, influence as you would maybe hope. And because, and you know, it, it needs a little bit of that humanity to be able to resonate with people. Here, uh, in 2011, you and your partner, Adam Tompkins, set out to make it easier for the best freelance creatives and creative companies to connect. You founded Working Not Working, an invite-only mm -hmm. network of the busiest and most talented and sought-after talent in the business. Um, can you explain what gave you the initial idea to make Working Not Working and Explain, you know, how working out working is different than traditional recruiting agencies. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was full time in advertising as an art director and creative director for about five years, um, and then 2007 I went freelance uh, just to work on all the projects we just talked about and give myself some more flexibility. Uh, and when I was freelancing, it was just always a pain in the ass trying to find a job mm -hmm. uh, because, like, I would just go and email and, and, and your my opportunities for finding work was only as big as my network. So I'd only worked at a couple of agencies, like basically two agencies. So I would just email everyone I knew that I had worked with previously and be like, hey, do you guys need help? Do you need help? Do you need help? And like the, the odds of those, the timing being right was like, you know, it was very low. 
And so I spent a couple of weeks emailing everybody, oh, whatever. And then finally, like two weeks later, someone would be like, oh, actually, we do need help. I'd get booked. And then without fail, I'd always get a few job offers that week after I'd already accepted another job. So it was just like such a weird, inefficient process. And I'm like, why don't I just broadcast my availability to everybody? Um, and so for me, like I'm a bit of a smart ass. Um, so on my portfolio site, I just made a blinking neon sign that either said Justin is working, Justin's available or Justin's available soon. Um, and I called it the Justin Genac freelance status apparatus. Um, and, and, and <laughs> then awesome. I, had, so cool. I called I had an overutilization of technology. So I had a Facebook group, a Twitter feed, a text alert, an iPhone app and a mailing list to follow my availability. Um, and I ended up with like 40 agencies following, following my status. Um, and so every time I would go and switch it to available, I would ping everybody, uh, and whatever their preferred, uh, you know, channel was, and I would get two or three job offers within a day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, this is pretty nice. Um, and any jobs I couldn't take, I would email to my senior art director friends. Um, and at first it was, it was funny because people were like, oh, that's cool. You do that. And I'm like, what's cool. I do what? And they're like, oh, send your your contacts and your jobs to somebody else and i'm like yeah but i'm not i'm not worried that if i go and send a recruiter to you that they're never going to call me again there's like enough work going around for all of us uh and it was like it was just like a good good karma thing which was nice to see um and then it got to the point where recruiters like justin all right i see you're working uh but are any of your friends available and i'm like holy shit i'm a rep now Uh, um (laughs) And at the same time, uh, you know, Adam and I had worked at our first jobs at Ogilvy together. We were both art directors in 2002, so we had been friends for a long time. And he was working on his own startup uh, at the time. He was trying to find freelance developers, and he was having an impossible time doing that. And we were talking about my status apparatus and realized that if that could work for me, it probably could work for everybody. Um, so we were like, wait, we should make this. Um, and over the next like couple of weeks, we crudely wire framed it um they're really embarrassing to look at now um and then uh we shopped it around to a couple external uh studios to help us design and develop it and we found this place in oak uh we found this uh, studio in dumbo called oak um and they did all the design and dev uh and we launched it later and for us it was important uh with the site that you know when people came on when agencies and brands and, and companies came on that they were finding the best talent in the industry and they didn't have to look through every uh, every creative. Um, so we did, we vetted all the talent that was coming in. So we only let in about 10 to 15% of the people who apply or are nominated. Um, cause we, we want to make sure the bar is really high and that, you know, the agencies like, you know, Droga five and widen and Google and Facebook and Airbnb, they're finding really amazing talent through us. So we're going through the pretty labor intensive process of doing the vetting for them. Um, so they're coming across great talent. Awesome. Um, and then, and, and also the difference too is like you know when I was freelancing and for recruiters like, like typically they go and you know all the agency uh, in house agency recruiters I knew would go and email and call every single person they knew and it, that was in, either in their Excel spreadsheet or their Rolodex to see who was available for a gig and you know you do that and you're like oh they're booked they're booked they're booked and then when none of those people are available. Available, and that usually takes a couple days to find out. They would run around the creative department and just ask anybody if their friends are available. And then they're really, at that point, just getting a warm body. And then if they're really desperate, they would call a headhunter. And headhunters charge anywhere from 15%, and I've heard all the way up to 100% markup, especially on, on freelancer, and freelancer's day rates. And that's insane. And 
And the thing is, too, when someone gets a job through, through a recruiter, like if I got a freelance job through a recruiter, uh, they would have a contract with the agency for a year. Right. So anytime they wanted to call me back, they'd have to pay that fee uh, for the year. And so what would happen is they'd be willing to pay that fee you know, for the two weeks or the month of the project because they were desperate. And then after that, they're going to look to hire anybody other than me because they don't want to pay that fee. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't get to work on the project I want. The companies don't get the creative they want. It's bad for the work and it's bad for everybody. So right. for us, when we started work, working, we're like, all right, we're not doing commissions. Um, and you know, granted, had we done commissions, we'd probably be uh, making way more money right now, but we just realized it's not the right thing to do. Um, and so we don't charge the creatives anything and we just charge a monthly membership fee um, for the uh, recruiters. Uh, and they have access to everyone on the site and they can hire anybody that they want for the couple hundred bucks a month. Awesome. That's so cool. When, when you guys are looking for talent, the bar is really high. Um, yeah. And I'm sure you are inundated with submissions. What are the things you see over and over again that you kind of wish you didn't see or holes in people's game? Yeah. Where is it usually lacking? So uh, we have a membership board now. Like Adam and I uh, used to, in the first you know two months, uh, we're doing the vetting ourselves, uh, which while also trying to freelance to pay the bills and sign up companies and do the emails and throw the parties and do everything else on the site and write all the, all the copy and the features and all that. Right. Um, so we quickly learned that that wasn't really, uh, efficient enough for us. So we, we, we hired a few people to work as our membership board internally. Um, and the, the, the bar for them is to, you know, are people doing work that makes us jealous? Would we want to hire them? Um, and are you know we're looking for people that are doing recognizable, groundbreaking work and are either current superstars or potential future superstars. So we're getting people that are right out of school. We're getting people that are junior, mid-level, all the way up to CCO and design directors. Um, so it's ha- having that range of, of folks that are just making work that gets us excited. Um, and we're right now we're working on designing, uh, the next version of working out working. It's going to launch, um, hopefully at the end of January on our five year anniversary. Awesome. Uh, now that I put that out there, now we really have to do it. Um, but, um, <laughs> setting your own bar for, for us, we're, we're going to be expanding the membership board, um, to be, uh, to include, uh, people in the community whose work we really admire. Um, and so we'll have, instead of a few people doing it, we'll have, uh, you know, many, many people within the community helping us do that so we can get through all of the people who are applying and nominated, uh, you know, much quicker. Because right now, like, because we only have a few people doing it and there's several thousand people in the queue waiting to be reviewed, it takes a long time. Yeah. Uh, and just know it's like, it's not the most efficient process. So we've been working hard over the past few months to build like a better system so then people can get in and get an answer, you know, in a few weeks as opposed to, you know, right. much better. Right. That's awesome. Um, so, and, and we see a lot, you know, even when back when I was looking at books, the things that would throw me off is like, uh, people not putting, uh, where they've worked, people not putting clients they've worked on, people having typos in their book, especially if you're a writer, having a typo is like, yeah. It's almost like being a designer, an art director, and having a widow. Uh, it's just like you just you can't yeah. have that. You know? yeah. so it's like kind of the basic fundamentals. Um, not showing off your work clearly. I think a lot of times people will like have small thumbnails, or they uh, like I've been to some people's books and it's all text links, and it's like no, like show show the work. Um, right. Also, people uh, a lot of times people feel like they need to put everything they've ever done. Um, and really could benefit from some editing. So, 
there's a there's an old saying that you're only as good as the worst thing in your book. Right. And and that I think people get knocked a lot for that because you look at stuff you're like, oh, that's amazing, that's amazing, and then you get down, and you're like, whoa, what is this thing? And you're like, yeah. well, you that's put that up there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like that's not as good as that. So, are did they work with a team, and then that, that helped elevate that? And so then you start to have doubts about people. So if there's stuff in there that isn't what you're trying to get hired for, like don't put in your bad photography. Don't put you know your it's Instagram like, low res pictures. Now it doesn't make us a photographer. Um, like only put the stuff in there that you want to get hired for. And I think you know, and some people, uh, it's come up a lot in, in in recent months. I've heard is that you know put the stuff in your book that you want to do. Don't put the stuff in that you've done that you're like, oh, yeah, I don't really feel like doing any type of work like that anymore because right. people will hire you for that. So if you show it, expect for people to try to hire you for it. And I think that's what happens where a lot of people, a lot of creatives get stuck and they're like, well, I don't want to do this type of work anymore. And it's like, well, then start doing new work right. and do it for yourself and put it on social and, and, and put it out there and put it in your book and just start like come up with the personal projects that excite you and show your voice and and I've always judged portfolios that way too. And there's self-initiated projects. Uh, it's such a clear uh, representation of who people are because right. if they're the only one in charge, they were making all the decisions. Um, then you really can tell someone's thinking. And right. at the same time, it's nice to see that people have ambition and want to make something happen. Right. Like you know, like someone wanted to meet a bunch of creatives, so they make a podcast and start interviewing creatives. And it's like, yeah, that's great. That yeah. count that counts. and yeah. and that counts as you want people that are hustlers and you want people that are hungry and you want people that are just going to make shit happen. And especially if you're running a company, like you don't want to have to tell people what to do. You want them to come in and just like create amazing work and, and, and really change, change the culture and change the work for your clients and, 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 and make amazing things happen. So, right. uh, I think that's m more than, more than anything I think is seeing, uh, ambition combined with talent is, uh, you know, it, if you can get that across in your portfolio, then you're, you're probably have a leg up on most people. That's going in the best of clips right there. I'm going to chop that right out. All right, cool. Killing <laughs> it. Um, you know, you, you mentioned about... Well, I was going to say one thing. Like, I, I, I saw Scott Belsky talk a couple of years ago at South by Southwest. He said said something to the effect of, like, you can't teach enthusiasm. Right. Um, and, like, he'd rather have someone who's enthusiastic than someone who, like, and then teach them all the things that they need to know because that you could tell that they're eager to learn those things. Yeah. Um, and so, like, yeah, it's, it's always just good, good to see that, like, that people are just, like, have that drive because you can't, you can't teach drive, you can't teach passion, you can't teach enthusiasm. Um, right. So with Working Not Working, you have uh, a blog called Free Range and a podcast called Overshare, both of mm -hmm. which I, I love. Uh, as I mentioned before, I've, I've attended several of the overshares. Um, you know, David Droga, uh, Jessica Hish, um, Chantel Martin. I just took her class on Skillshare. Ivan Cash. Cool. I have deactivated my Facebook account for the month. I've inspired uh, by nice. Yeah, and all and all from working not working. And I'm not just saying this because you're here. I really <laughs> do think that. Uh, your podcast can get out way ahead. It already has, but way ahead of Meet the Creative. So please ah. keep doing them. They're amazing. I love them. Thank you. And your well, questions are was, killer. Thanks. I, I, for me, uh, I just do overshare for like I just do overshare for me, honestly. Yeah. I do too. Uh, These are selfish I, reasons, this podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's all self-serving. But uh, I, I think I see so much in the industry. People, you know, you go to conferences and you see people talk about their work. And it's always, you know, for the most part, the highlights. And you mm -hmm. see such carefully 
curated images on Instagram. Um, and that's all great. Um, uh, but I wanted to just learn more about the struggles and how people deal with the ups and downs that go with being a creative person. Because, you know, sometimes there's, yeah, great. There's great highs, but there's also really low lows. And, For sure. uh, I, I just wanted to learn from people who, whose work, uh, and, and talents and, uh, I admire and, and, and just see how they get through it. Um, so I just have those conversations for me to learn something. And the fact that people are there and they seem to get something out of it. And on the podcast, people are listening and get something out of it is, it is bonus. Um, but I think it's just, it is, it, it, it's topics and, and things that aren't really discussed often enough in public. And I think a lot of times we, we shy away from the struggle, um, because I want to look like I've, I'm perfect. I've got it all together. I've got it all figured out. Um, and to, to show otherwise would be come across as weak. And I think it's okay, okay for us to, uh, to share a bit of that ourselves, uh, a bit about that, about ourselves, um, and, and, and own up or just, uh, be okay with not having it together all the time and not having it all figured out because then that's when people step up to help you. Um, and so for me, it's in the past, you know, year, uh, I don't know if, you know, two years ago I would have been able to do overshare, but I think, uh, just my own work in the past couple of years has really allowed me to be open to those things. And, and, and I've gained so much just from the six conversations I've done for overshare so far. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. This has been a whole bunch of fun and, uh, <laughs> a whole bunch of fun. I don't know. Why a whole bunch of fun. We'll go with it. A whole bunch yeah, of fun. A whole bunch That's of fun your, today. It's going to be your next t-shirt. A yeah, whole bunch of fun. A whole bunch of fun. Um, Meet the green. A whole bunch of fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It might stick. Uh, yeah. where, where can people find you if they're looking to, uh, obviously work, not working.com, but, uh, where else? Uh, at Justin Genac, G I G N A C, uh, across the board. Um, but yeah, mainly just working, not working.com or at W not W like we're doing a lot of things. Uh, you know, people ask me now like, Oh, are you still doing projects? You still doing projects? I'm like, no, working, not working is my project. Yeah. And it's you know, and I get to, yeah, it's my baby and I get to, you know, I get to do overshare and we're doing, you know, M Mike O'Donnell, who's our, uh, you know, he runs free range. He's making amazing content on there and we're collaborating with members on making, uh, you know, content and making products and all of that. And so th those are my side projects now and that's the stuff I get really excited about. So anything, uh, that I, I want to do and get to make now is all even even more exciting because I get to collaborate with amazing artists and just get to geek out yeah. on, with people that I'm like super fan of. Uh, and, and can go and make stuff with them. So, uh, yeah, just watch Working Networking. That's where all the fun shit's going down. And, uh, you and know, really excited. Subscribe to the podcast. It's fantastic. I love Thank it. Thank you, yeah. O overshare by Working Networking on iTunes. I yeah. think that the, the David Droga, the, the, the biggest thing to, like, to prove your point from before was uh, you know, yeah. talking about how at, at every level there is a struggle. And uh, David Droga talking about the flags waving outside of his agency in New York and his daughter just like, rolling her eyes. That, if that's not like the perfect picture. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's amazing. He's got a 700-person agency on Wall Street with a, a gold placard with his name on it and a flag, and his 10-year-old daughter comes up and he goes, it's a little bit boasty, don't you it's think, It's a little Dad? much. It's a little much. And then he's like, and then he's like I'm trying to defend. He's like, well, the building told me I had to, all this. And it's like, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, like, yeah, Dad, sure. And, and the, only that he's even, the fact that he's willing to admit that like, is, uh, yeah. it, it's reassuring. Uh, yeah, we all – We've all got ego and we've all got insecurity and it's just how do, you, how do you manage all of it, you know? Yep, that's true. All right, Justin, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Peace. Bye.